Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. Exodus chapter 25, verses 23 through 30. I'm going to read out of the New King James. That's how it appears on the screens. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length and a cubit its width and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a hand breadth all around and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. And the rings shall be close to the frame as the holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. So I think you know today as we're in this tabernacle series. We, last week we finished with the lampstand. This week we're going to do the table of showbread. How many of y'all are hungry right now? For some bread. Not that gluten-free stuff Melissa makes me eat. I'm talking about some cheddar cheese biscuits from Red Lobster with some strawberry butter or something, man. Just heaping on there. Or, hey, I got a better idea. Let's drive 84 miles to Sykeston and just put your hands out and say, throw me the rolls, baby. Just throw me the rolls, baby. And may on in the air on the way over here, Lord, remove all the gluten out of them. By the time it hits my mouth, it'll be satisfying to the soul. Anybody in agreement with that? Can I tell you today that we have a better bread than that? And it isn't thrown to you. It was given to you. It's the bread of life. And it all began in this tabernacle, right? Where the tabernacle is how a man approaches God. So we came through the, go- the, the gates of the tabernacle into the outer court. In the outer court, we encountered the altar. From the altar, we went to the bronze laver. Then we come in now to the holy place and all three pieces of furniture in the holy place, the lampstand, the table of showbread, and then also then the altar of incense all deal with worship. So now we're into a place of worship. Our past has been taken care of in the outer court at the altar. We've been washed by the water of the word. We're clean. We're regenerated. Now we encountered the light of the world. And now we come from the light of the world that was on the south side. Now we come to the table of showbread that was on the north side. I don't know about you, but when uh, I would go to my parents' house, my mom had a table that was made for the whole family to sit at. When, I, when that table was out, that meant we were about to have some serious dinner. Okay, it was always at a place for six, but when it went out to like 28 people, that meant that we were getting ready to either have Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, and mom was to show, about to show off in the kitchen, and we were going to have turkey and ham and whatever else we could throw on that table. That table meant that we were getting ready to have a dinner that would do more than satisfy. When you come into the presence of God, you should not see God's table as this little card table that's rickety and got folding chairs next to it that your old long lost loved ones are put at while everybody else sits at this table. Instead, when you come into the presence of God, you should see a feast that's getting ready to more than satisfy your life. So when you come to church, it should not be dead, dry, and boring like that old rickety card table. This is a place where God prepares his best and his finest for you. 
And just because you messed up in the parking lot doesn't mean you have to sit at the card table. No, instead, you get to pull up to the same table that everybody else gets to pull up to, the table of the bread of life. I mean, you're glad you get to come to the table of the bread of life. This, this table specifically, they put wheels on everything. I think that's because of me. This table specifically speaks to many things. It speaks to sustenance. It speaks to provision. It speaks to life. And it all speaks of Jesus. It was built one cubic wide. And number one, the number one in Bible numerology talks of unity. So this is a table where there is unity. When we come to the table of the Lord, it's not my agenda or your agenda. It's all about his agenda. When we come to this table, we have one thing in mind, and that is to meet to talk and to sup with Jesus. Nothing else matters. I don't care what song they're singing. I don't care what the lights are doing. I don't care what the smoke machines are doing. I don't care who's singing. I'm not here for them. I'm here with one agenda and that's to meet at the table with Jesus. You can sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. You can sing The Battle Belongs. You can sing a Southern Gospel song. You can sing a Black Gospel song. I don't care. I come to the table because I know who the song is about. I come with one agenda. And in the Bible talks in the book of Psalms that it is at the place of unity that there is a commanded blessing. So it's one cubit wide. This is a place of commanded blessing. This is a place of unity. It was then three cubits long. Three talks about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So anytime you come to the table, we must be in unity that everything at the table is all about God. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. The bread is not about me. I just get to eat the bread. The bread is about him. Everything is about him. So we have relationship at the table. We speak about relationship, our relationship with God. And the table speaks of that sustenance and that provision and a supply. But also this table is a type or a, an example of salvation. There is a parable that's found in Matthew chapter 22. It's the parable of the king's son who was getting ready to get married. And he had prepared a table. They had sent out the invites. How many of y'all have sent out invites and it says RSVP on them? Now, be honest, how many of you have said, they know I'm coming? <laughs> Do you want to raise your hand and admit that you said, they know I'm coming. I don't need to RSVP. They know I'm going to be there. I think we do that with God. He knows I'm going to be there. He knows I'm there in heart. He knows I'm there in spirit. He knows, he knows, does he? Have you RSVP'd and said, I'll be there when the marriage supper of the lamb is happening? I'll be there. You're not going to make it on. He knows I'm going to be there. You need to make your calling and your election sure. So the king sends out his invitations to the elite. And they all think, they should know I'm going to be there. But nobody RSVP'd. So whether it was in his frustration or his anger or whatever emotion he was having, he said, let's do this. If the people that we sent out the real nice invitations to, if they don't want to come, then you head out into the highways and the byways. They didn't have an invitation this time. He said, compel them 
to come. The people that nobody else wanted, nobody else would ever invite to a place, let's bring them and invite them to the king's table and they'll show up. This is the same thing that has happened with the gospel. There was an invitation to a particular group of people to receive the Messiah. And when they wouldn't receive the Messiah, guess what? Then they said, let's go out into the highways and the byways. Let's go out to the people that nobody else wants. Let's go get the Gentiles, the dogs, and let's invite them to the table. And here's where we're at. We're like that little woman that said, listen, I may not be sitting at your table, but even the dogs get the crumbs from your table. And I'll be satisfied with a crumb because before I was never even allowed to be in the place. But now at least the dog gets to be at the place. I'm just glad to be at the place. I don't even need a seat at the table. I'll be happy to live under the table. I'll just be happy to sit outside of the place and let you throw some stuff my way. But that's not what God wants from you. You're not his dog. He said, you're not my dog. You're my son. And I don't want you to sit under the table or away from the table I want you to pull up at the table and you and I are going to talk like a father and a son talk at this table aren't you glad that you were compelled out of the highways and the byways to come I mean they called you from Carbondale and Murfreesboro and Heron and Carterville and all the places that nobody else wanted the, the, the Lord comes to those places and said I'll take those places I'll have revival in Marion and I'll have a revival in Carterville I'll have a revival in Murfreesboro I'll break the curse off of Carbondale I'll bring it out of Johnston City and West Frankfort and Benton I'll bring it out of Harrisburg I'll take some Lean County, Johnson County, Pope County, Hardin County. I'll take all of Southern Illinois. If nobody else wants it, I'll bring them to my table. And that's what's getting ready to happen right now. It's not a revival for Chicago or the big city. It's a revival breaking out in the heartland of America. The highways and the byways and compelling them to come. That's the invitation. Whosoever will. Black, white, Hispanic, homosexual, heterosexual, metrosexual. It doesn't matter. He compels them all to come to the table. And when you get to the table, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be like father, like son. You won't be the same way that you came in the door. You're going to wind up looking and acting like your father. Whosoever will. Let him come. I think some of you are shocked. You mean black people are going to come to church? Yeah. Black people are going to go to heaven, so they're welcome to church. You mean white people can come? Yeah. White people are going to be in heaven. They deserve to be in the church. You mean Hispanic folk, all them illegal people? Yeah. They're not illegal in God's house. I'm going to rub up against your culture because your culture is rubbing up against kingdom culture. And kingdom culture is whosoever will, let him come. I don't know if I like that. They dress differently. Them bikers in that leather. Oh, my goodness. That biker's reaching more people than you'll ever reach. Let him come. That person's confused. They won't be confused when they get to the table. The church needs to sound like heaven and it needs to look like heaven. Because there's going to be the halt, the lame, all of them are going to be in heaven. So come on. 
If you're watching me, come on. You've been kicked out of every church because they won't love you. Come on, we'll love you to Jesus. We'll take you to Jesus. I'm not inviting you to church. I'm inviting you to a table where you're going to meet the master. And he's not going to throw you a crumb. He's going to give you the whole loaf. He's not going to give you a part of Jesus. He's going to give you all of Jesus. It's a table of salvation. The invitation is not to stay like you are. The invitation is of salvation, saving you out of the highways and the byways. And if you like the highways and the byways, then you'll stay right where you are. But if you want to come up to a higher level of living, if you want to stop begging for food and having food every day of your life, then come and receive this invitation and come to the table. So it's a table of salvation, then it's a table of provision. See, I don't think people realize this, but when we pray for our food, we're acknowledging that even though the cook and the chef made it, that provision comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Our world is denying it, but everything that uh, give us this day, our daily bread. And Lord, now it's take all the poisons out of it. Make it chicken if it ain't chicken. I know I ordered it by a number, but can you make it what I think it should be? We need to be praying over our food. Why? Because it's from the Lord's table that we're eating. Who created the animal that you call a ribeye? We need to thank God for it. And if you're embarrassed to pray for your food, if you're ashamed of him... It's a table of provision. It's a table of salvation. This is also a table of divine intervention. Without the divine intervention, or can I just say it like this? Without the divine interruption of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, each of us would be headed to a far different destiny. Without the death, the burial, and the life, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would have no chance to make it out of the place called hell. But because of this divine intervention and this divine interruption, John 10, 10 comes alive. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But here's what Jesus said. I interrupted the plans of the enemy who was stealing and killing and destroying for you. But I have come that you might have life and you might have life more abundantly. That's called the divine intervention. The enemy was stealing from you and killing you and destroying you and Jesus said I, but I have come I stepped right here in the middle and I'm the bread of life and you're stealing from him and I'm giving to him you're destroying him but I'm healing him you're putting him in bondage but I'm delivering him it's the divine intervention of the table let me let me put this more in my church when I was I had some mean sisters when I was growing up they were violent and my mom and dad had a leaf table and we would run around the table to avoid the mean sisters. Has anybody ever done that? You just get the table in between them and they go this way and then you go that way and you go this way. This is exactly what the divine interruption does for you and your life. The enemy is on the prowl and all you got to do is get to the table because as long as you got the table between you and the enemy, the enemy will never succeed in destroying you. So when the enemy goes that way, you go this way. When the enemy goes that way, you just keep around the table. But one, two, Many of us want to run from the table and get out here. And that's when you become the prey of the enemy. Stay at the table. This divine intervention. It's a table of sustenance. 
This is the table that sustains us through our ups and our downs. And as pastor, I know many of you, I've read your prayer requests, the text messages, the Slack channels. Some of you may not have known what was all going on at that altar, but some folks have faced some valleys this last week. Some folks have went through some downs, but you know what? When there was an invitation to come to the table, they came to the table that would sustain them. The enemy has been wearing me out, but I get to the table and it's at the table that the table sustains me in my ups and my downs, in my mountains and in my valleys. When things are good or when things are bad, I'm just going to stay at the table. I'm not going to leave the table. See, many of us, we don't even realize this. When you're hungry in the natural, where do you go? You go to the table. When you're hungry spiritually, why do you run from the table? You need to run to the table. When you're hungry and when you're hurting, you run to the table. Because it's a table of sustenance. But this, is, this was not just any old table, though. This is a table. Well, yes, it was a table. But there was a dimension given that was different than anything else in the tabernacle regarding this table. It said it was one cubit wide. It was three cubits long. One and a half cubits tall. But then it says to build a border that would be a handbreadth. It's the only time in the entire construction of the tabernacle that there was a dimension given that was not related to a cubit. But this says it was a handbreadth or about four inches. It said, I want you to build a border about a handbreadth tall, and I want you to make it all the way around the table. And I love this because the word border is also where in the Hebrew is also where we get the word crown. In other words, I want you to put a crown on the top of this table. And the crown isn't just part of the table, meaning he doesn't just have authority in part of your life, but the crown is authority over every area of your life. He said, I want you to put a border all the way around this table. And this bread that is here is a type or representation. There's 12 things of bread or 12 loaves of bread or 12 pieces of bread that are on there. One for every tribe, or shall we say one for the, one for every person of the people of God. The 12 tribes encompass all of the people of God. And he said, I want you to put the bread inside of the crown. I want you to place the bread inside of my authority and inside of my protection. So the people of God that are laid on the table, the inside of my crown, because remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I hold all power in heaven and earth in my hand. And can I tell you that he no longer has a crown of thorns on. Instead, he has a victor's crown. And the victor's crown is surrounding everything where God's people are on the inside of it. So there is nothing that can pluck you out of the hand of God. He holds all power and authority and if you'll lay your life down on the table and put it inside of his authority and the border in which he has created nothing can get in and nothing can get out he has a border right there scripture says that his angels in camp in circle around those that fear his name those that have come to the table he has a border around you there's nothing that can get in and nothing that can get out anything that you place in his security and under his authority like your children that you've raised up in the way that they should go that when they are old they shall not depart from it in other words I put my child into the hand of almighty God so I'm standing firm in this that there is nothing that can take my child out of where I laid my child. There's nothing that the enemy can throw at him. There's not a drug. There's not an addiction more powerful than the crown. 
I put my family there. I put my marriage there, my finances there. And now I'm under the authority of the crown. Place of sustenance, place of provision, a place of salvation, and a place of the crown. This table is unique. God gave a specific command. He said, I want you to take it and I want you to build it out of acacia wood. And then I want you to take that wood after you have lifted the wood out of the earth. I want you then to cover that wood, earth, something taken from the earth. I want you then to cover that in gold. Because it was covered in gold, the acacia wood now is no longer subject to the chemicals of rot or deterioration that come by way of the natural things. It was taken from the earth. It was part of the earth because this table represents Christ. And Christ came, born of a virgin, out of a, out of a woman. He was part of the earth. But then he says, wait a minute, there's also another substance that I want you to involve in this. And it's not of the earth. It comes from the earth. But because it's not inherent to the earth, it has a certain value to it. So when you're digging in through dirt, you don't find, you don't find more dirt and call that gold. You find gold in the dirt. And automatically, because it's not of the earth, it's separate from the earth it has a different value to it you're now wearing it on your rings and putting it in your ears and on necklaces you don't how many of you are wearing dirt today the earth has no value but something that you would find in the earth but it is not of the earth has a different value you we can call them diamonds you can but this is gold the purest of all the elements this is gold he said so i want you to take something that is in the earth i want you to take acacia wood and then that represents his humanity and then i want you to cover that in gold which represents his deity and as his deity encircles his humanity there is nothing of the earth or in the earth that can contaminate or deteriorate who he is so he is fully God from God and very God but he was also born of a woman the acacia wood but it was encircled by his divinity this is why Jesus could say of his enemy they have nothing in me and they have nothing on me because my divinity supersedes my humanity this is what we're going to do one day. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptibility and then we'll no longer be subject to the contaminants of this earth. This table represents Jesus. Everything about it represents Jesus. The table, its dimensions, its color, what it was made of, everything speaks of Jesus. The border, the crown, all of it give us this is talking about Jesus. So when I say to you, come to the table, I'm not meaning a literally table. I'm telling you to get to Jesus. And when you get to Jesus, God manifested gold overlaying acacia. God manifested in the flesh. So when the enemy comes at you, all you got to do is get behind Jesus. And when the enemy goes that way, you just stay right where you are because the battle belongs to God. Some of you are so wore out running from the enemy and playing duck him and dodge him. Just stay under the providence and the protection of Jesus. Pastor, I'm just so worried. How many of y'all remember testimony service back in the church? And you'd have the, the, the old saints get up and say, oh, I've been on the run all day. The devil's been chasing me all day long. I'm like, well, stop and turn around and resist. 
You're not supposed to run. There's no armor on your backside. You're supposed to be facing in the same direction all the time. What are you doing running? Your theology's all messed up, Mr. Colonel Sanders. Just see how many y'all with me. You, Medulla Oblongata, is all messed up, Mr. Your theology's all messed up. I'm running from him. No, you're to run to Christ who's already standing between you and the enemy. To Christ. It's a table of protection. At this table, then, there was also, there was bread, which we have bread. Now, listen, it's not the red lobster bread, but it's bread. And there was frankincense, a white gummy substance that could be melted down like icing on a cinnamon roll. It just come out of the oven. <sighs> That's about as close as Pastor Jason's going to get to eating a cinnamon roll right now. Can you smell it? Sweet smelling savor of Pillsbury in 400 degrees. Those of you on the worship team, it's Miss Nan's cinnamon rolls. She needs to come back home and make some of them. I mean, it's, man, frankincense and bread. And every week, the priest would bring 12 pieces of bread. And we're not going to argue whether they were stacked or they were laid. But 12 pieces of bread representing the 12 tribes. But these weren't just any piece of bread. These were special bread. They were bread that had been pierced to make them easier to bake they, so they could be baked all the way through. They were pierced because it represents Christ who was also pierced at the cross of Calvary. And they would bring it, but it, the bread couldn't be left there for more than a week. How many of you ever ate bread that's been left out way past its time. It can either be chewy and gummy, or you can knock your dog out with it when you throw it at him. <laughs> Some of you are rooting for the latter. But the priest's job was every week was to make sure that the cakes were, that were always present before God were replaced every week with fresh bread. I think some of us are forgetting that we are priests and you've left the bread way too long on your table. These cakes were present bread or presence bread, meaning they were in the presence of God continually. The bread was there. These cakes were there. So it was the priest's job every week to come with new bread, take up the old bread and replace the old bread with fresh bread. How many of y'all remember fresh manna? See, when you come to church, it should be the responsibility of the preacher not to preach you some pre-cooked microwavable sermon. But it is up to him to remove what was God was speaking like last week and replace it with what God is saying 
this week? What is God saying to the church in this moment? And take the old bread and take it, and they could either consume it as the priest or they could give it away. But whatever was before the Lord was something that was fresh. It was in his presence. It was before his face, and it needed to be fresh every week. So let me just say it to you like this. You may have praised God last week, and you think that that's good enough for this week. But we're here to come and bring something fresh to God. And because it's before his face and in his presence continually. So we need to give God a fresh praise and a fresh worship and a fresh prayer life and say, Lord, I know I did it last week, but here I am again this week to replace what I gave you last week and I'm gonna give it to you this week too. Because some of us are like, well, I told the Lord like I told my wife in 1974 that I loved her. (laughs) Well, it ain't good enough for your wife. And it ain't good enough for God. You got to tell them and show them how much you love them. And if you think it's, well, we're just going to wait till my 50th anniversary and then I'm going to tell her again. (laughs) I did something for God back in 1942. Well, it's time to do something for God again. I was in this room last night and somebody said something and I didn't take offense to it. I just thought we need to, we need to reconsider what was said. What was said was, is well, somebody had said that this old-time religion is dead. And then they said, well, they didn't put enough dirt on it. But I want you to look around and see whether or not we're being effective in our walk with God as to whether or not we're reaching another generation. And so, well, we argue and fuss about this generation that's upcoming Could it be that they're living the way they are because we've not shown them an alternative on how to live? We've showed them that church could be dead and dry and boring, but what they want is an authentic move of God, and they don't want to hear about your miracles in 1975. They want to see a miracle in their own life today. And if if you're offended by church that wants to have a move of God, then this house ain't for you because i got to reach my children and my children's children with a divine, authentic move of God. And my kids don't care what God did for my grandpa or he did for my mother or what he did for me. He's got to do something for them. In other words, there's got to be fresh bread on this table when my children come. They don't need it to be chewy or gummy or hard or boring or dry or tasteless. They need to see the awesomeness and the majestic power of Almighty God, the one who heals blind eyes, who opens deaf ears, who causes the lame to walk and the dead to live again. That's the God that your kids and my kids and your grandkids that they need to encounter when they come to church. They don't need to encounter church church they need to encounter God I feel that in my bones today pastor my children my children my children I want you to show them a God who answers by fire they'll worship Baal until there's an encounter Until the church stands up and says, wait a second, Baal's not God and Jezebel's not God, nor is Ahab the real king, the king of kings, he's the real king. And we need to have an altercation of their gods versus our God. 
I feel like I'm running up against a little spirit of python right there. It's constricting you because you don't have faith that your God will answer by fire. Well, I say dig a trench and pour the water and let's watch what God will do in this generation. There are ministers and missionaries and evangelists and prophets and apostles that are younger than I am that need to come out from all that mess and walk in the authority that God has for them. The showbread was the meat offering. We talked about it at the altar, the meat offering. And you can read through Leviticus and get more in detail, Leviticus chapter 2. And it talks about how this showbread was supposed to be offered and what it pertains to the table. And the duty of the priest then in 1 Samuel chapter 21 was to replace it with fresh hot bread. Fresh hot bread. I mean... We've had some church around here for the last few weeks, and I've been amazed at how many people get offended when it gets hot in God's house. Like, we're satisfied with, like, this patty cake stuff. I have been forced in the natural to a gluten-free diet. I will not be forced that way spiritually. Where we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. Where, oh yeah, we got bread, but it won't fill you. It won't keep you. It ain't hot. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't create any cravings in your life. I mean, it needs to be so hot in this building. It's like when you open up the oven at the house and everybody comes running. We need to open this thing up so loud and so hot that it changes every city in this region and turns our world upside down that they have a craving, not for drugs, not for alcohol, but for Jesus. I'm going to skip over that. Skip over that. It was unleavened bread. We'll go here. It was unleavened bread, meaning it had no lumps, had no impurities in it. It was unleavened bread. Then they took the frankincense, which was the color white, which the color white is for purity and righteousness. They poured purity and righteousness over a bread that had no lumps, like it was purity upon purity. Can I just tell you, I think one of the reasons why the church has lacked in its revival is we think that just being pure in the bread is enough. But we need to have purity upon purity. We need not just be pure in how we live, but also pure in how we study. Not just pure in how we talk, but also purity in how we pray. We need not just have purity in what we eat, but also purity in what we drink. Not just purity here, but we also need purity there. See, it's not enough for the pulpit to be pure. We also need the pew to be pure. But I may also say it's not enough for the pew to be pure. We have to have the pulpit pure. Because the icing on the cake was purity, holiness, and righteousness. That was the icing on the cake. And we've made righteousness somehow to be this bad tasting thing. But the icing on the cake, I mean, I don't know about you, but when my mom would make cakes, I didn't care about the cake. I just wanted the pan where the icing was. I would just put my finger in there and lick it. I would take the, the, the spatulas off the mixer and I lick that too. And then, listen, righteousness is not something that is distasteful. Right? Uh, righteousness is something that ought to be like the 
icing on the cake. I'll lick that thing and I'll lick that thing. Why? Because it's good for the soul. The doctor says it's too sweet. I'm like, yeah, you got another thing coming. This is the most amazing thing I've ever had. You need to put some icing on your righteousness instead of walking around like you sucked on a persimmon and say, I got to live like this. No, I get to live like this. I get to live holy and righteous in this present world. Oh, you church people are dead and dry and boring. You ain't been to my church. People run the aisles, people leaping, dancing, shouting. You don't have to go to a bar to get entertained. Oh, you like the people watch? Come to my church. <laughs> you like a good band? Come to my church. You like good singing? Come to my church. You like a drummer that breaks cymbals? Come to my church. You like a guitarist that headbangs? You need to come to my church. You like that? You need to come to my church. We made somehow right standing before God to be a bad thing. Some of y'all got so saved, you forgot how to be saved. I'm sorry, did I say something wrong? Some of y'all got so saved, you're just stuck in your savedness and forgot to celebrate it. Oh, you guys got confetti? Yeah, come on. We're getting ready to have some confetti. Matter of fact, I'm trying to get blowtorches for you, Sean. Just burn some of you. Get you up out of the seat. And just Come on. You, you get all crazy over Christmas carols. How about you get crazy over the battle belongs to God? Oh, it's a silent night, holy night. It ain't silent anymore. The night is over and joy has come in the morning. Won't it be wonderful there? No, won't it be wonderful over here? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Why can't you rejoice here? You're already saved, set free, and delivered right here. I can't wait to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Show up to the table today, and you're going to have supper with the Lamb today. I'm rubbing up against some of y'all real bad right now. Well, if we could just turn to the hymnal. Well, I have found that the hymnal keeps your hands like this. And we want our hands like this because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold. I want your hands up so you can put them down. Might I also say some of you are more married to a hymnal book than you are the book. You know them songs, but do you know the word? Do you, you know the songs, but do you know the author of the song? Oh, I want to see him and look upon his face. That's what I want to do. You know, my mama's here. She'll set me straight after church. Thank you, mama. I got both women in my corner Eat your heart out, Satan. <laughs> the scripture says, it gives a, it's a real thing about the ingredients. It said it should be made of fine flour. They took the flour, they broke it down, they broke it down until it was a fine flour. Now, how many of you all have ever ate undercooked pastries? I bet you didn't keep eating them. You're like, it's been so nice to be at your house tonight. <laughs> Honey, we're making a stop on the way home. I'm hungry. 
Anybody else ever been there? You ain't been a preacher till you've had that conversation. It's been so good. You've been so hospitable. We just love being here. We love being here so much. We feel like we need to go right now. Look at that. My goodness, the pigs have got to get fed. Got to get the Christmas lights up. I, I think Pastor Tim's calling me to a meeting. Let's stop in McDonald's, honey. And now some of y'all got people like this in your life too. You already know before you get there that they ain't real good cooks. So you stop at McDonald's before you get there. If we're going to your mom's house, we need to stop at Arby's and get a 12-piece, baby. I said all that to say this. No one is satisfied with fine flour. Not one time has anybody come to our house and Melissa's cooked. They said, hmm, are you using name brand flour? Show me your flour. Do you keep it in the refrigerator to keep the, the bugs out of it? Show me your flour. They're like, man, this tastes really good. What are the ingredients of it? But never, never a comment about, boy, this flour is really good. You can't live on fine flour. But I've seen some of you, you do really good on baked goods. Because it's after it's baked that it's good. Now, Pastor Aaron had no idea what I'm getting ready to say right here. So he was in the Holy Ghost, and I know I am too. Here's the thing. No one is saved just by the life of Jesus. They are saved because he went through the process of crucifixion and he was pierced so that he could be baked all the way through. It couldn't just stop it beating him or plucking his beard. He had to be baked all the way through. He had to go through the entire process. We are not saved by the fine flour of his life. We are saved by his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. Had he avoided the process of the fire, you and I would have nothing to believe in or believe on. We are saved by the end result of what happened to the fine flour and was satisfied by the baked bread of Jesus Christ by the death, the burial and the resurrection yes he had to be fine flour but listen it didn't end there this is why our world is fine with you talking about how Jesus was a good man who never sinned and he was a good teacher they don't want you to know that he was not just that, he was also baked in the, in the crucifixion and then was buried in a grave and he was risen from the dead, they're fine with you saying he was alive, just don't say he died and rose again because they know that as long as you believe that he's a good teacher there's no salvation or any hope in that but we're not here to say that he was just alive I'm here to say he was alive he was dead and he was buried and he rose again and he's yet alive that is what my life is built on is the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ he is the True bread of heaven. And he has an invitation to you to come to the table. I mean, when we come to this table, everything about it speaks of him. His humanity, his divinity, his authority, his salvation, his provision, his protection. All of it is found at the table. And the last thing that Jesus does before he goes... He says, I want to bring you to a table. It's found in Luke chapter 22. He invites his table, his disciples to what we would call the Last Supper. It's, it's called the Last Supper is because that supper hasn't ended yet. There's going to be parts of that supper that we will complete at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He invites them to a table. And he says, at this table, he's going to institute something. And he talks about it. Now, when you read the scriptures, 
There's more than just these chargers filled with bread, but there was cups and there were bowls. And for the lack of time, the Hebrew word literally can mean it was a jar that was used to pour the wine out. How do we know that the wine was poured out? Well, because it was forbidden of the priesthood to drink the wine while they were in the holy place. And this table set in the holy place. So they were not, they may have poured the wine, but they did not drink the wine because it was forbidden of them to drink wine while they were in serving the Lord in the holy place. And we can talk a whole long time about alcohol in the church, but suffice it to say, when you're doing the duties of the priest, you might want to avoid drinking alcohol. Because alcohol wasn't for you, the alcohol was for him. The wine was presented to him. And because this is a type of the table, what they would do with this cup that was now this jar that was filled with wine. Now, Scripture forbid it from being poured on the altar of incense. But they would take the wine and they would pour it at the base of this table. They didn't pour it in here because there was no way for it to escape. They poured it at the base of the table. So when Jesus arrives at the Last Supper, he says to them, he says, I want to do something with you. I want you to take this bread and this bread is a type of me. It is my body which has been broken for you. So when you come to the table and you see the bread in whole, it has to be broken so that you remember that I didn't go to the cross whole. I was broken for you. My body was broken. Not my bones. My body was broken for you. It was bruised for you. And then he says, I want you to take this cup. And I want you to remember when you take this cup, that this cup represents the new covenant, which was my blood, which was shed or my blood, which was poured out for you, not consumed by you, but it was poured out for you. And it wasn't poured on the table because you couldn't get to the table. It wasn't poured in the table because you couldn't get there. It was poured before the table so that when you're crawling, you don't have any way out. When you, when you don't have any feet to walk and your enemy has beat you down, if you could just get crawl yourself to the base of the cross, the same thing that the base of the cross is applicable at the top of the cross because his blood ran down the cross. It didn't stay on the wood of the cross. It was all over in front of the cross. There was revelation happening all over at the foot of the cross. It was when it was dark out that the Roman soldier said, sure this must be the son of God it wasn't while he was on the cross that the, the soldier said that he's seeing it and he said I'm at the foot of the cross and I'm recognizing that there's something different about this man this is his blood that was shed or poured out for you and I I didn't have to get on the cross he poured it out before the cross and all I got to do is get there and when I get there and I take his blood not, we don't drink his literal blood, but when I take his blood, I'm reminded that this was the blood that was poured out, not at a place that I couldn't get to it, but it was poured out at a place that I had access to it. This is why Jesus went outside of the borders of Jerusalem. Had he been crucified inside of the walls of Jerusalem, then it would not have been applicable for us Gentiles to receive it as our sacrifice. But he went outside of the city. He went outside of the borders. So all of us that couldn't have access in now have access to him. And he is our access in. We didn't have access in. We just have access to him. And now that we have access to him, he is our access in. So so Romans 5 says you didn't have access before but now that you have him you can enter into his throne room boldly because you have him you now have access in
y'all mopping what I'm dropping. So when we take communion, we are reminding ourselves, grab your cup. These are different. When we take this, we're reminding us ourselves. You know, there was a day I didn't have him. And because I didn't have him, I had no access in. But he laid down his life so that I would have access to him. And now that I have access to him, I now have access in. I don't want you to see how accessible this was. None of you brought your own communion cup today. You didn't even know it was going to happen. You just showed up and a man at the door said, here you go. Here you go. Now, I doubt any of you said, how much do I owe for the communion? No, it's free. It's free. Nobody said, Brother Pete, have you repented before I give you this? I hope you and Sherry are getting along before I give you this cup. And I'll know whether or not because you'll have two black eyes. Here you go. No, we weren't qualifying you. Because we want you to remember that none of us were qualified for this. This is what qualifies us. This is what took away sin stain. This is what provided for the healing in your body. This is what qualifies us. I'm not here to tell you you can't take it. I'm here to tell you you need to remember the privilege that you have in order to receive what Jesus Christ did for you. You weren't always at this table. Some of you were kicked over to the card table and you never thought you were ever going to get from the card table to the real table. But today here you sit at the real table with the real bread of life with the real blood of Jesus that can wipe away sin stain that can provide healing for you and whatever you have need of you now have in your hand let me read it to you what he says to the disciples he said when the hour had come he sat down he sat at a table just want to sit with you and he said to the 12 apostles that were with him. He said, with fervent desire, it is such my passion to go beyond this thing that's in the tabernacle where you got to come and you got to go through all those. I just want to sit at your table. I am the bread. How about you provide the table? How about you provide a place for me that I can sit with you in your busyness of life? When you're worried about college football games, when you're worried, can, can you make a table where I can sit with you? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man would hear me, he would get up. He would open the door. And he would invite me in. Lord, you can come to my house and sit at my table. He said, I have desired this with fervent desire. To eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and he gave thanks. 
And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed or has been poured out for you. I just want you to remember me when you do this. When you're sitting at church in 2022, I want you to remember what I did for you. Oh, he did that for Pastor Jason? No, he did that for you. Oh, he did it for, no, no, he did it for you. And as often as you do this, I want you to remember that he did it for you. When you come to the table and you see the bread and you think, man, it's so good. But take a deeper look at the bread. It was pierced. It was broken. And it was baked in the furnace of affliction for you. What you enjoy freely nearly bankrupted heaven. But there's an invitation to whosoever will. Let him come and do this. And as often as you do this, I want you to hear me. As often as you do this, don't remember your grief. Don't remember your brokenness. As often as you do this, he said, you remember me. And if you'll get me in the proper place, I'll take care of the things that you view wrongly in your own life. I just need you to get me in the proper place. If you'll make him your Lord and Savior in the proper place, he'll take care of your sins and your brokenness. He'll take care of the diseases and the sickness. Just get him in the proper place. And whenever he gets out of the proper place, you need to come back to the table and take communion and remember what he did for you. So in this place, would you turn it upside where the bread is first? And just take it and peel it back. And there you have a piece of broken bread. And he told his disciples, take this and divide it among yourselves. And remember, this is my body, which was broken for you. So if you would, would you remember the brokenness of Jesus? Now, if you would just take the chalice and you would turn it up with the juices up. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It wasn't enough that his body was broken. It's not enough for you to have a provision for healing. There also needed to be a provision that your sins could be washed away. And he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. And so if you would, then just take the top and pull it back. And if you would... Before you drink it, if there is any sin in your life, 
when you take this, I want you to give those to God and watch his blood wash away sin stain. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right now our ushers are passing you waste receptacles. If you just place your empty communion chalices in there. The Last Supper is found in Luke chapter 22. Jesus, Luke 23, is crucified. He's buried. And then in Luke 24, he's, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. And there's some disciples of Jesus who are walking down the road and they're confused about the happenings of the last few days and the last few hours they're confused and two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem and they walked together after of all and of all these things which had happened they talked as they walked and while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and he went with them But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of a conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you are sad? One of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Jesus said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and he crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came and saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but to him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is dropping biblical truth on them. He said, you believed in part. You believed he was going to be the Messiah, but you forgot to read all of his word, that he would be crucified. He would be buried. And on the third day, he would rise again. You believe in part, but you don't believe all. And he's walking with them all the way from all the way back through the prophets. He's teaching them a Bible study and laying it out seven mile walk from Emmaus to Jerusalem. When they drew near to their village where they were going, 
when they got to their final destination, it says, and he, meaning Jesus, he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him. He said, no, this is far enough. We just took communion. And I believe that Jesus has indicated he would have go further with you than just communion. I think God has some very deep spiritual truths that he wants to pour out into your life. And may we not be like the two men on the road to Emmaus who said seven miles. That's enough. You're dropping truth on me and you're, you're walking with us and you're talking with us, but that's enough. Communion was enough. I believe God wants to go just a little farther with you. We let him go farther with you. Not just to remember that he provided healing for you, but can he heal you? Not just to remember that he can deliver, but can he take you further and actually deliver you? Not just to remember that your whole house can be saved, but will you give him your whole house to be saved? He indicated that he would have gone farther. We've come in this place and God has moved miraculously already in this building. But is there anyone in the room that you need him to go further in your situation? You need him to go further in your marriage. You need him to go further in your health crisis. He indicated he said, he made every invitation, I'll go further. He's always willing to go further. It's us who say, that's enough. And I just wonder, is there anybody in the room that you're tired of saying, that's enough? God, I need to go further with you than I ever have before. God, go further in me and through me in this moment. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, Holy Spirit, speak to every life. Speak to every heart. Invite them to go further with you. Invite them to walk further than a day's journey. Invite them, Lord, to deeper things in you, into deeper spiritual truths with you. Beyond just the bread and the wine, but invite them to know you and the fellowship of your sufferings. To walk with you and to talk with you, to fellowship with you. Holy Spirit, draw them further with you. 
And I ask this in the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.